How can I know God is real? What does the Bible say about politics? Why does a good God allow suffering? If you have questions about faith, life or culture, don't be afraid to ask. This This is Ask with David Dean. G'day everyone, Dave Dean here. And our question for the week is, can you help me understand worry from a Christian point of view and how I can be free from it? You know, it's something of an Australian ease to say, no worries or she'll be right. But there are worries and she won't always be right. In fact, the Australian Bureau of Statistics recorded that in 2018, 13% or 3.2 million Australians had an anxiety-related condition, a number which has only surged during the course of COVID. So as Christians, how can we think about worry and anxiety? Well, here are a few thoughts from a biblical point of view. First, worry reminds us of our need for Jesus. A couple of months ago, the engine light came on in our car, and I didn't know what it came on for. So I ignored it for the rest of the drive home from work, but along the way, I felt the engine start to splutter, and again, I didn't know why. Turns out, after taking it into the shop, that I'd lost a spark plug, which has quite a dramatic effect on a small car engine. But you see, that light, it was a signal to a deeper problem that needed to be looked at. Worry is kind of like that. Every single human being has worries because we all have fears. They are different and to different degrees, but we all have them because it is built into our human nature. And like ignoring the engine light in a car, we can end up causing far more damage if we ignore the warning signs of worry in our lives. So the question is, will we call for help? And if we do, to whom will we call? For the Christian, the engine light of worry signals our need more than anything else to draw near to the Lord. It's like a compass orienting us to the north that is Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's the beautiful thing about the whole edifice of Christianity, that we can draw near to God and know God because he has drawn near to us and known us in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says, Long ago and in many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the power of his word. So God speaks today through his word and we can speak to God in turn through prayer. And that process of hearing from God and speaking to God is one that grows and matures the intimacy of our relationship that we have with God in Jesus, which is crucial for overcoming worries and anxieties and fears. In the words of the psalmist, when the cares of my heart are many, your consolations cheer my soul. Paul explains some of what these consolations are when he writes to the Philippians, do not be anxious about anything. Now, he's not telling them to, you know, gird up their loins or be stoic or pop a pill. Paul gives us the reasons in the very text why we need not be anxious. In the verse prior, chapter 4, verse 5, he says, the Lord is near. In the verse following, do not be anxious about anything. In verse 6, we read, because the Lord is listening. And after that, in verse 7, we read, because the Lord is guarding us with his peace. What peace? Well, Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, John 14, 27. In other words, the peace Jesus is speaking about is the opposite of worry and anxiety. It is a calmness of spirit that rests in trusting in the will and providence of God through the provision and power of the Holy Spirit who carries us through the trial. So I guess what I want to say, first of all, is 
the desire to be free from all worry is not necessarily the goal here because worries have value in that they remind us of our need for Jesus. Something I need to be reminded of daily, if I'm honest. I mean, if I would actually be worried if I cease to worry because worry is an essential part of what it means to be human and depend on God for everything, what I eat, what I wear, and so on and so forth. So worry reminds us of our need for Jesus, and oftentimes it is the catalyst for that journey of maturity and intimacy that we all must go on if we are to move forward in our relationship with God. Second, worries reveal our greatest loves. Ask yourself this question. Would you want to live your entire life without any worries at all? No worries, none. That might seem like a strange question, but think about it. A life lived without worries is an anesthetized life. It is a detached life of indifference, and friends, that's not human. You see, worries signal something special about who you are. If you worry at all, then you care. And if you care, it's because you have an affinity or an interest or a love in something or someone. Of course, those affinities or interests or loves can be misplaced. They often are. But that you and I have them tells us something about what it means to be human. To have no worries is to be detached. To worry is to be attached. It's to relate. It's to be human. Here's a simple exercise. Imagine one of your children, or if you don't have children, one of your parents has had a scan and it looks like an advanced stage of cancer. The doctor isn't sure, so they've ordered some more scans. Would worry be an apt description to describe how you might feel? I think so, amongst a host of others, no doubt. You see, worry springs from our deepest relations. The more we love, the more we worry. Or change the situation. Imagine you've got an important presentation that you have to give at work or at uni or at school and you're worried about presenting well, you know, not being criticised or rejected. In that case, the cause of worry comes from self-love. You know, we all want approval to be accepted, to have our hard work recognised and valued. You see, both of these exercises give us a window into our heads and to our hearts. While the fact of worry shoots in the direction of something or someone or some situation about which we are worried or fearful or anxious, the act of worry shoots back in the direction of you and I, the worriers, revealing affections, our hopes, our dreams, our relations, our ultimate desire to connect and to love and to be loved. So inasmuch as worries remind us of our need for Jesus, they also reveal what or who we love the most. And for the Christian, there is no higher love or desire that we should have apart from Jesus Christ because anything else is idolatry. Thirdly and finally, worrying provides an opportunity to exercise faith in deeper dependence on God. Here's really where it all comes together in a beautiful consolation. Again, worry reminds us of our need for Jesus and worries reveal our greatest loves. And yet here, Even when our greatest worries are realised, when our love ends in heartache or heartbreak, Christians aren't left to wallow in worry because the good news of Jesus Christ shines hope like the sun cresting the horizon, giving light and warmth and orientation even within the darkest pits of despair. You know, it is telling that the etymology of the word worry has its origin in the old high German idea of strangling. And it's the same idea with the word anxious, coming from the Latin root angrea, which means to strangle. Without release, worry and anxiety can suffocate the life out of us. They can be crippling. 
whether mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, both in our lives and in our effectiveness for the kingdom of God and the work that he has prepared for us to do. Certainly that's the image that we're given in the parable of the sower when the thorns and thistles, the worries of life, strangle out and choke the truth and effectiveness of the word of God. We also see this to a lesser degree in the example of Martha, who was so worried about trivial things that she missed the bigger picture concerning Jesus who was there before her. So we must avoid any sterile notion that Christianity pretends, you know, there aren't real things to be worried about. Of course there are. There are many things to be worried about and fearful of in this world. But recognizing as much, we must also avoid the suffocation of the worries and the fears and the anxieties by hearing and heeding the words of Jesus. Did you know that the most repeated negative prohibition Jesus uttered in the New Testament was, fear not? Fear not. Why did he make such a point of that? Because Jesus is not a high priest, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows intimately what it is to face fears as a human being. I mean, just look at him in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he prayed to the Father that the Father would take the cup of Calvary from him. But even there, we see how Jesus dealt with his worries and anxieties as he continued to pray, yet, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Faced with the greatest worry any human in history has ever faced, Jesus laid it down before God in that act, which saw him to the cross of Calvary. Jesus demonstrated what it looks like to live and to die with an affinity, an affection, a desire, a love for God that is more than anything else in this world. You see, friends, there is a way to be free from worry, but that doesn't always mean that we're not going to get hurt. Worry didn't get Jesus crucified. Faithfulness did, but it was faithfulness that saw him rise from the grave, telling the world once and for all that there are imperishable reasons for responding to the troubles of life in faith, not fear or worry or doubt or anxiety. You see, being crippled by worries and anxieties can reflect something of a worship disorder in that it fails to recognize the providence of God working in and through our lives. 1 Peter 5.7 says, Cast all your anxieties on him. That's the imperative to which we are called. And he continues, Because he cares for us. There's the promise in Jesus Christ, which is yes and amen. Friends, faithfulness to God in even the most dire of situations is praiseworthy. It is something we can count as joy because it is a courageous expression of love first and foremost to the will of God and the promises of Jesus Christ. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Why does Paul tell us that? Because in so doing, we must necessarily think of our hope in Christ that aligns here and now with our created intention and our future destiny in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Do you have a question about Christian beliefs, theology, doctrine, philosophy or culture? Don't be afraid to ask. Go to drcdean.com forward slash ask. That's Dean with an E.